This evening's Dharma talk is titled uh, Tibetan words to start with. Tamo Geshepa. Tamo Geshepa is Tibetan for ordinary mind. Ordinary. Everyday mind. And it is a teaching that emphasizes the ordinary or present nature of awakening or realization or, under, or clear understanding. Uh, this is basically saying that you don't have to go to some mountaintop somewhere. You don't have to go to a distant place somewhere else to get nirvana, get realization. And you also don't have to get rid of samsara or get rid of your everyday difficulties in your everyday life so that you can live in some kind of special enlightened state. It's basically saying that what you're looking for is right in front of you. Always has been. It's right in front of you. Difficult because we're full of hopes and fears and beliefs, disbeliefs, opinions, ideas, concepts, on and on. So this is why in our tradition in particular, but in other traditions in different ways, uh, there's a practice of stretching or enhancing or strengthening the ordinary mind, which is to sit down, hold still, and actually witness, just witness your mind. Uh, conventionally, in everyday situations, when you're in the kitchen making coffee or doing dishes or doing laundry, going to the parking lot, getting in your car, arriving at work, and all the other mundane things that go on, we see that as something else, something, something other than, that's something else. That's just everyday things. And what we're looking for is some kind of special realization or experience that makes us feel like we've accomplished something. And I can say this much about any kind of experience, no matter how wonderful it is, goes away, impermanent. Everything that arises goes away. So what you're looking at right now, the objects that are here, the people that are here, the incandescent lights or the fluorescent lights or whatever they may be, light coming through the window, will change. It'll be a different place, a different building. So there are fluctuations and changing changes going on. And we get entranced or mesmerized by all of the vacillations and things that are happening. But what doesn't change is the mind itself. And if one's through hope for something else and fear of something we don't want, hope for something we do want, grasping, aggression, passion, aggression, or the other one, ignorance shutting down. Through those three, we tend to avoid the very, the very thing we are looking for, called awakening or realization. And if if one sees this or understands this or is clear about this, they don't have doubts about it. They don't need to check in with someone else and say, you know, I'm having this. Uh, you know, what do you think? Is this something? Or as long as you need to check with somebody else, you have a lot of work to do, and that work might be more of just sitting here and looking at at your mind come and go and come and go. So if anyone is trying to convince you of something or sell you on something or promote something to you, it's probably not Tamo Geshefa or Ordinary Mind. It's probably some kind of, albeit uh, a subtle uh, merchandise. Do this practice and you'll have this. Do this and you'll have that. Want to feel really good, feel better, feel more of this, more of that. Do this, do that. There isn't particularly anything being promised here. Usually if you find yourself in this particular room in front of this particular 
person, then you're probably, you could say, ready to hear this. And I can say it in two words, not separate. There isn't anything else. There isn't anything other. It's just this. This is why in uh, Buddhist tradition, particularly in the Tibetan tradition, but also in the, in the Zen tradition, there's uh, something called devotion, which is not belief in anything. Or is it a disbelief in anything? It's, it is a, an understanding that you may need some guidance. You may need someone to inspire you. And this isn't someone to worship uh, the, t the teacher, but someone that you can give the benefit of the doubt to. This doesn't mean blind faith or trust or uh, devotion in the sense of you, you, all of your thinking stops and you don't analyze anything, you don't, uh, you don't uh, evaluate anything, that you just blindly trust. I say don't trust anything. Don't believe anything I say. I say this quite often. I also say don't disbelieve anything I say. Can you find that? You find looking at anything and you're neither believing it, validating it, nor disbelieving it, devaluing it, or looking away. That's the third one. Don't accept it, don't reject it, don't look away. If you can do that as a practice, you'll find that what you are looking at is what you're looking for. It's not something else. It is your, one of the metaphors that's been used, it's your own face. Is suffering ordinary? Pretty much. So when we have suffering arising, there's some sort of negative negativity, and... What is it to see it as ordinary? That it's not extra. You have nerve endings. We feel good. We feel bad. We're human beings, so we're going to have feelings come and go. It's when, when we struggle with that or we fight against something and we push and pull, then the suffering uh, turns into uh, a difficulty that is extra or too much, or there's too much going on, too much difficulty. Can one practice having an ordinary mind? We always practice having a mind. We just don't see it. We're all, it's always this. There isn't anything else but what's happening right now is with each to, person. Yes. Is there a way to become reacquainted with that or recognize it? There is. Uh, do the one thing you have some control over. What is that? Hold still. Say it again. Hold still. Can you paraphrase that? Sit down. Can you paraphrase that? Can you paraphrase that? <laughs> <laughs> Smart ass. The new guy. Huh? The new guy. <laughs> so I would say the other one is don't do anything unless you have to. You're sitting here. If you're doing something else, then I'm not saying you shouldn't go and eat if you're hungry. But don't do anything unless, don't do anything extra. This is one, one of the reasons we have, in our tradition, we have meditation retreats. Where uh, Chazan just came out of a 26-day solitary retreat where he's doing sitting meditation like you were doing a little while ago, eight hours a day. Nothing particular to brag about. I would say don't do that unless you have to. Don't meditate unless you have to. So there's nothing, you're not going to find anyone here uh, trying to uh, spread some kind of propaganda or sales pitch about everyone should meditate. You shouldn't do anything unless you have to do it. Yes? Um, we create these, or these forms have been created or passed down, and they're, they appear very special in the fact that they're in a stark contrast to our day-to-day -day life. So what is um, the motivation between creating a special situation with the idea of seeing ordinary mind? 
Very good. So the idea with creating a special situation is if you don't do that, then you're pulled here, pulled there. If someone says, do this, do that, help me with this. Let's go over here. What do you think about that? Uh, let's build a, uh, I've got this great idea for a, a chinchilla farm. Will you help me with that? There's, there goes the next six months of your life. Not that you shouldn't do that. Chinchillas are all right. But in order to, and it's not that it's wrong. The right and wrong, that's just extra, and that's just a lot of palaver. So right and wrong is extra. Palaver farm? That's one of my favorite words. Palaver? Yeah. <laughs> I think I used it once in the last 10 years, or maybe eight years. So so the idea is to, is to sit down, hold still, and, and watch your mind in its fundamental right where the, where the thoughts and feelings and emotions and hopes and fears are starting up at, right where they start to ramp up at, right at the beginning. It's like looking at the seed of a tree. You're actually right down looking at the seed. It takes some time. The first uh, three weeks, three months, three years might be just spent looking at the tree. It might take you a while to, each person would be different, to actually begin to see down into the roots of what you've been creating around, with, and for your life and including your friends, relatives, children, pets, uh, friends, enemies, neighbors, students, teachers, uh, on and on and on. And so to be able to see, to drop down and see, that seems to take a lot of, a common word is the discipline. In other words, you sit down, you hold still, and you look. Or not, or get up and run around and continue to run into things. O overdose on this, underdose on that, yes. Can we see a seed if it's already turned green? Absolutely. And relatively. Oh, no, brown cow. Because it's always starting over again. It's always starting over. It's all starting over. All you have to do is drop down into it and watch it start to build itself. Build itself into your world and your hopes and fears, the things you want, the things you don't want. And your own conditioning coming and going and coming and going. Go ahead. It's the same thing that's different. It's the same thing. It's the same modality, but it's different. There's a di looks different, looks different, looks different. It's like every day we wake up, it's, it's waking up. You get out of bed, but it's different each day. Some days are pretty good. Some days are not so good. Some days are kind of somewhere in between. We just keep going and keep going. And kind of, what are we doing this for? Kind of, what, is, what is this about? What is life about, as they say, as we say? Sometimes if we have something to look forward to, some kind of pleasure, some kind of adventure, then we feel up. But we can't continually live out of some kind of, you know, tomorrow's our vacation, going on vacation. If it's watered the seed and it's already added so much to it, how do I, it feels like it's too late to find the seed. Just don't water it. Then you have to find it. You have to see it. And then you, you, if you watch it for a while, it'll keep going, it'll keep going. And then over time, this is the image metaphor I often use, is you'll notice how it's getting its fuel from somewhere. And it's usually, probably other things happening, but it seems that it gets its fuel from you refusing it, trying to push it away. It gets fuel from that. Just like fighting with anyone will cause them to fight back. But not fighting with someone. People usually want to fight so bad, they'll start to accuse you of something. You know, why aren't you talking to me? Or <clears throat> you're just ignoring anything to get you to engage with them and fight. So just, just observe and you'll see the way that it's getting its fuel from being agreed with, objected to, 
shut down on those three. Any kind of fiddling around and meddling with the mind tends to make it continue to spin. Shoto. How can things that share modality appear differently? How do you mean? Earlier to Jutsu, you said same same modality disappears differently. I wonder how that can be. Well, you get up in the morning. You get up in the morning. You get up in the morning. You get up in the morning, you feel good. You get up in the morning, you feel bad. You get up in the morning, you feel neutral. It's just it's the nature of things. You're always waking up in the morning, but it could be a just the causes and conditions that are, that make up our, our mind and all of the things that we haven't looked at. Is that what you're asking about? No, it's just, it's extremely complicated. And the best way to approach uh, that complication is to, to find the one who's, who's seeing that, who's witnessing that. That's why sitting med meditation is so important to sit down and find out who you are, find out who this is that keeps agreeing with some things, objecting to other things and ignoring. Yes. The present is the nature of awakening. Where that causes us not to see. It seems to be that it's a, it's just a whole matrix of imagination, uh, imaginary uh, things coming and going uh, that are fueled by passion, aggression, ignorance, hope, and fear. We create a whole world of things that are pushing this way and pushing that way that we buy into. I need to do this. I need to do that. You'll notice if you walk from here to the parking lot. Try to walk from here to the parking lot without thinking about anything. Uh, do, do any, as soon as you leave here, immediately the mind gets filled with where you're going, what's happening, what you should have said to somebody, why did they look at you that way? Uh, I should have, uh, I should have worn a belt, my pants keep falling down, you know, stuff. Like that. The causes and conditions that are your life, every little incidental thing is showing up as, as some kind of activity inside or with the mind to object to, to agree with, to ignore. Is that what you're asking about? And it's not that you don't misunderstand. It's not that you can walk from here to the, to the parking lot without thinking. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating that you should try to do that necessarily, but I'm saying if you try to do that, uh, I'm not advocating that you can succeed at that. Probably not. But by looking at that, just watching your thoughts from here to there, uh, helps you see if you continue to watch your thoughts, watch your thoughts, whether you're sitting on the cushion, walking from here to the parking lot, you'll notice how completely full your mind is constantly jabbering about everything. It's just full of explanations, uh, blaming, blaming oneself, blaming others, uh, and, and just an endless uh, um, a stream of ideas and thoughts, opinions, hopes, and fears. Yes? Is there anything that wouldn't be considered part of ordinary mind? No. What? So ordinary mind is a, is a way of teaching it. <coughs> because people are looking for something special. And what's being said is, this is it. You're looking at what you're looking for. Go ahead. I was just wondering about uh, in what way something can be part of ordinary mind and simultaneously seems to obscure our awareness of it. So what's the question? What is, uh, how can something be simultaneously ordinary mind and something that obscures our, our understanding? I don't know. What do you think? That's why I ask a question. So when I say I don't know, I'm saying, saying I have an idea of what I could say about it, but I think it's best for you to look at what you're asking me and go into that yourself, penetrate that yourself, rather than just have it be a, you ask and I tell you something where you no longer have to look at that anymore. That's a very good thing to ask yourself, yes. When you came up and had your inter one of your interviews during my retreat, as you left, you said, 
I'm on Yusuf, you know what that means in my mind. And there's something very frustrating about that because there's almost an effort to try to be ordinary and upright. I hear you, but I still feel like I'm crazy. That's ordinary mind. And that's ordinary mind, but it's also something I fixate on that causes me to fail to recognize the ordinary mind. That's ordinary mind. (laughs) There isn't anything but this. Any of those of you who have been listening to this person talk for the last number of years, hear me say it over and over again. There's just this. If you see what this is, you'll see that you're actually, lo- in a sense, not exactly, you're not exactly looking at yourself, but you're looking at an aspect of yourself that you've been ignoring, and the way you ignore it is you think it's something else or it's other. This is happening all over the world. It's happening where people take people in foreign countries or people with a different skin color or people with a different religion, ethnicity, and think of them as someone else who's not as good or something like that. Happens a lot. Yes? What's the difference between suffering and suffering? I think it would be different with each person, but to address your question specifically, I, say, I think that if you're aware that there's suffering, then there's, there's some kind of, uh, the suffering comes up as, as an object, but there's some kind of a space around the suffering. And it's difficult for the suffering to continue in the same way with that kind of spaciousness around it. It's not being agreed with, it's not being objected to, it's not it's not being ignored for sure. You're just you're just aware that you're you go ahead. So is our our words are coming out and I'm hearing them hit back and be like hope. It's our hope is our goal. I know those are not the words, but is the hope to be aware of suffering. There's always suffering. So is our endeavor to strengthen the awareness, not lose the suffering. So there's no actual agenda to not lose the suffering. There's a, there is an agenda to see what is true, moment by moment, to see fundamentally what is the situation that we find ourselves in. And also the Buddha's uh, motivation for his path was to end suffering. This is why he taught 2,500 years ago, because he could see that people were suffering, and part of the reason they were suffering is because they wanted something else. Whatever they had, they didn't want that. They wanted something else. And, of course, there are different versions of that different ways of looking at it. Sometimes people are being tortured by someone else. This is just out-and-out pain. It's just the nature of, uh, of the complicated nature of karma that causes some people to eventually get power over other people and then those powerful people to suppress other people. It's just uh, it's pretty insane because you're actually fighting against part of yourself. So when you speak of ordinary mind, I think um, the... The image that comes in is, uh, I go home, I go to bed, I get in my bed, versus I go home, I go in my room, I notice that my husband in bed, I think, someday's not going to be there. Instead of just going home and going to bed and doing that kind of mindless routine, what is mindless routine? Is the ordinary mind that you speak of being aware of these ordinary moments as actually uh, present, uh, the ordinary moments are extraordinary in their presentness. Yes, it's exactly what you said, minus what you just said. <laughs> Perfect. You follow that? It's exactly what you said, minus your commentary on it. And, and when you say presence, or I think that's what you said, that's one of the ways uh, that is that ordinary mind is uh, described as authentic presence. You are, you are so present 
that there isn't anything else. You're so present. There are no extenuating circumstances in your mind about an imaginary future or a, a irreconcilable past or uh, past and future are um, beside the point because there's only this, there's just this, always. There's not even a clock ticking. This doesn't mean the body mind isn't going to drop, but if you think you're this, you're going to suffer. If you think you're limited to the, this breathing human form, it's going to be difficult. It's going to get more difficult when you approach your own death because you think you are going to die or actually going to come to some kind of end. Yes? Who dies with the body? Body dies. Does the idea that we are our body die with that? Uh, I don't know. I haven't died yet, so I'm not sure. Why aren't you smiling? <laughs> are you thinking about something? What are you thinking about? Go ahead. What is the imagination that's present? What is the imagination that's present? Imagination that's present it knows its imagination. It, it knows that what is, what is being imagined is imaginary instead of what is being imagined is somehow real and, and uh, should be feared or hoped for. That scene, what is known as just this. How does just this save all beings? Um, with great difficulty. Just all beings are resisting. <laughs> they resist all the time. I, I, my intention is I'm just this wonderful person who's really trying to help people. It's the only reason I'm still breathing. Uh, I'm trying to help people, okay? And so, you have a further question? Okay, so I'm trying to help people, but people act as if I'm trying to take over their mind or something and they run away. That's why you have to put on a chain every night. <laughs> what? There's something out there? I mean, the one around the pole that goes around your leg, yes. No, I'm just saying that we, we not meddling with someone, we trying to work with someone where they're at, sometimes they misunderstand and, and go another direction. They, they're, they're not ready to have any kind of fundamental help. They want some kind of other thing, some kind of solution or some kind of answer. Does our self-centeredness um, make it difficult to, you know, to experience our ordinary mind? Yes. Uh -huh. I think there's a, there's a, for one thing, there's an imputed or imagined self who can either be having fun or be entertained or be bored or be something or something can be there be successful so there's some kind of imaginary situation happening uh, happening with who we think we are and so that makes it difficult we, we actually think we are somebody who can succeed or somebody who can fail and it's not saying there isn't some kind of success and failure going on on some level but fundamentally there isn't there's just this and it's not separate so, so are the stories that we make up um, uh, kind of barrier to, to ordinary mind. Yes. Brain mind doesn't tell stories. It's no, it doesn't. Yeah. Nothing else is happening but this. Out of here. <laughs> I'm wearing a bathrobe. Of course you are too. Yes. Ordinary or respond to ordinary mind um, doesn't tell stories. Is that what? Yes. So is that which tells the stories the same stories as that the stories that are seen? Say that again. Is that which tells the stories? same situation, the situation being seen. Junchu, would you answer that? Yeah. <laughs> Jason, would you like to answer that? Can you paraphrase what he just said? You can't really? <laughs> <laughs> you weren't listening to it? <laughs> You're daydreaming, okay. Ask me again. <laughs> Is, the, Is there a distinction what looks like telling stories, what's seen of stories? Is there a distinction what? 
looks like telling stories. Oh, you mean what looks like telling stories that's not telling stories, that is the actual storyteller that's telling the stories? That one? <laughs> Where that occurs. Where that occurs? No. <laughs> Junju understands. Uh, Drew from Florida has a question. Yes. He asks, what is the relationship between ordinary mind and kensho? So kensho are the traditional Japanese word for insight into your true nature. Kensho means that you're going along and suddenly you have some kind of insight into the, the, the fundamental nature that, that nothing is actually happening and that there is no separation between you and anything else. And, it, and it's very experiential and it shows up and then it starts to crinkle or go away, mainly because we grasp at it, we want to keep it. So it could be very powerful insight, but since there's still uh, remnants of a self-centeredness that really likes that insight, this is called the ego, it wants to hang on to that, even though the ego kind of backed up and kind of dozed off for a minute, and then the realization came, Kensho came, and one had this uh, little mini awakening, which was maybe pretty powerful, but then the ego, awakens and say, wait, wait, I, I had that experience. I want that. I want to save that. Can I put it in a bag and save it and just take it out every now and then to make myself feel better? So, uh, was it Drew? So Drew was asking, who's in Florida, was asking if, uh, what's the relationship between those two? Um, one's extraordinary and the other's ordinary. And it's extraordinary because of such a contrast that you were dozing off and suddenly you have this, this Kensho experience, and then there's this big contrast. The ordinary, ordinary or Tamagashepa has no uh, opposite. It's just this. And it's, 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 not, that it, it's not an experience, because an experience, uh, here's an experience. Now watch what happens to this experience. What's happening to it? Huh? It's going away. All experience goes away. Kamalgashepa, ordinary mind doesn't go anywhere. Nothing happens to it. Yes? Yeah, um, are Kensho and Satori the same thing, or is there a difference in how must My understanding is Satori is complete awakening uh, from the, the Buddhist, uh, Zen Buddhist perspective, and Kensho is, uh, is a temporary insight into it. It's one It's part of the path of leading towards Satori. Enlightenment. Did I answer Drew's question? Is he happy with it? Okay. Yeah. Make, make it an easy one. <laughs> you often say that realization isn't an experience, experiential. Yes. What's the experience? In something like Kensho or just a contrast between you were really tied up in knots over something and now you're not, no pun intended. So awakening is not particularly an experience which can come and go, but it has experiential qualities to it that may show up. It depends on what's happening in the rest of your life. If you've been sitting looking at the wall for a long time and you've been doing this for years, uh, um, awakening could uh, creep up on you and you might not notice a big contrast. Other than you might just not notice, you might just notice that you don't take things all that seriously anymore, and you you seem to be not at war with anything. So you might just kind of notice it gradually. 
the uh, the great Zen master who lived in California back in the 60s, Suzuki Roshi, has, has a book of his teachings called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And one of the images that he used was uh, the path to awakening. This is different for everyone, but his description was path to awakening is like walking in a fog. You, do, you start out where your robes are completely dry, but you walk and you walk and you walk. And by the time your walk is finished, your robes are soaking wet. So you don't really notice that happening. You just keep practicing and practicing and practicing. Just returning to this, returning to this. As uh, Kadigiri Roshi said, who is a contemporary of Suzuki Roshi, uh, returning to silence, returning to silence. You just return to silence. Sit down, hold still, return to silence. And that might be, for a while, might be returning to a lot of racket. Anybody who begins, beginning meditators, sit down, hold still, find that their mind is going this way and that way and this way and that way, about this and about that, about this and about that. But over time, eventually all that starts to settle down. No guarantee, more than likely, it will settle down. I got to have some questions from somebody besides Shoto. Go ahead. In thinking we haven't practiced enough, get in the way of clear sight? I could. You could, but if, you're, uh, if you think you're not practicing enough, then you have a teacher. Who is it? Ask me. Go ahead. You just ask me. Ask me again. <laughs> yeah. Or you could ask for Yokido. <laughs> so yes, I it, it could, but unlikely. I mean, it's if you're trying to practice and you're a meditator, you're serious and you've been committed to this, doing this for years, then probably you're going to have times when you think I need to practice more. So it's very common. But there, there, you know, to someone who doesn't particularly engage with this, maybe uh, this is not, this is more of an off and on thing. So it's up to them. Not everybody's meant to be doing this. It's difficult to do this kind of practice. You have to do a, a lot of it. So, and sometimes that's what's happening if you've been sitting and sitting and sitting. And then even though you've been sitting a lot, maybe for a few hours every day, you think, I need to sit more than that. That's, there's probably some pretty good insight into that. That's why if you live in this place, uh, if you're a temple resident, you live here, then you're scheduled to sit six and a half hours every day. Uh, so this is not a hobby here. Not saying that people who sit an hour a week, that, that's a, that that is a hobby. That may be just what their practice is. Maybe just as serious as someone else's based on their life and their responsibilities, their children, their families, their job or their ability to just hold still and look at the wall for a while. That's not easy to do. Have some time left? Any other questions? You can ask more questions. Okay. Yes? You say the realization you may just realize that you aren't taking things so seriously anymore. Mm -hmm. Path, we see them too seriously, but we also see them just stop doing mm -hmm. that. How do we work with that? That's awareness. That, that's, that's a part of the path is to see that you are not going to be able to control. I mean, if we can control ourselves, why wouldn't we just be happy? You wouldn't even be here. Nobody would be here. If we could just, had, if you had control over your life, which you don't, we would just not do things that were bothersome and do things that were, we would just be happy all the time. But we can't. It's that we're human beings, and it's difficult. And if you look just 
watch the news for a couple hours, the extreme of suffering all over the world is just horrible. Even the people who aren't saying much or not on the news are living in, you know, Kansas or in Maine or in, uh, well, I was going to say uh, Syria, but that wouldn't be too good of a place to be right now. But people are having their difficulty, their struggle with each other. People have, have resentments against family members, or their, their brothers, they having trouble with their brother. It's just a, an incredibly complex and difficult situation. And according to the Buddha, 2,500 years ago, it seems to be necessary if you want to really deal with this head on, not just find a way to escape or to blot it out or not think about it, then it seems to be necessary to sit down and train your mind. Finally, we don't take anything for granted anymore. Don't believe anything. Don't disbelieve anything. Don't look away. Buddhism is not a belief system. If uh, people that don't know anything about Buddhism think people worship stuff, who's worshiping anything. It's just a reference point. It has nothing to do with believing anything, nor disbelieving. What more? And it seems like my tendency is to be the opposite and just take it seriously. Yes. Well, first, the first step is to see how much you do with it without interfering. Because if there's a subtle pushing it down, it's going to keep coming up until you get the, the, the lesson number 2.6, which is don't fight with anything. And you may have to fight and lose and fight and lose and fight and lose until you see that you can't fight with that can't fight with those negative feelings that arise. People who fight with negative feelings, either either deliberately fighting or through blaming others for their negative feelings, which is another way of enhancing the negative feelings, or trying to do some artificial uh, ignorance called uh, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Don't drink that, it'll probably kill you. Uh, but you know, drugs or <coughs> chemicals, some kind of artificial shutting down of things. In your situation, you're, the downside is you're actually experiencing the negativity and you're, you're pushing on it. And, and it keeps coming up and it pushes in. It's frustrating. So the downside is, is, your, is how difficult it is. The upside of it is you're actually looking at it. You're actually looking at the very issue that might have been, uh, might have been a problem for the last three lifetimes. We don't know. And as you know, I say it, not that I believe in past lives. But we don't know how far back that goes or what form that takes in a, in a, in a parent past. But you, you, how much did you, uh, how much did you meditate today? How many hours? Three hours you sat today. And that's, that's a fairly common for you to sit three hours a day. Maybe not every day, but fairly common. So you've been doing that for two years, close to two years. Keep going. Most people aren't going to do that. Most people are going to meditate for a half an hour every three days or 20 minutes a day or something, which is fine and they should do it. But it seems to take a lot of sitting practice to be able to break into this situation. Talk to me in 20 years. Huh? I'm not promising anything. You think this is hard for you? It's got to be me. <laughs> so what I would say is time is, is somewhat irrelevant. It's relevant, but it's somewhat irrelevant. What's important is moment by moment, sit down, hold still, watch what moves. And eventually you begin to see the way in which you, and this is painful for an individual to see, to see the way in which you, and I'm not accusing anyone, because you'll, you'll do all the accusing yourself. You'll see the way in which you keep making things difficult for yourself by fighting with them. Please don't. Don't do this. Drop one fist. 
when you look into your deep into your consciousness, you'll see there's a war going on of some kind. You know, I say you can't stop the war because that's going to war with war. But you could look at the war and see that there's two sides to that war. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. I should. I shouldn't. And just drop one of those. And then this will go on for a little while longer, but not a lot longer because it needs some opposition to even be there. Otherwise, it's just, uh, might as well be just fanning the breeze. Thank you. Further questions? Yes. You responded to whether or not um, he liked your answer yeah. to Pen, the relationship between Pencho. He said the answer was insightful. David? Is there a relationship ordinary objects, ordinary animals? Yes. It's, it's not, there's not a relationship between them so much. They're the same thing. It's just ordinary. And it's not ordinary just in uh, the object is ordinary. It's everything is ordinary. Everything in the room, everything moving, everything leaving, everything holding up, everything everything here is ordinary. Yes? And how, is, how is all that ordinary insanity? No more warfare. Insanity is, is uh, fighting with yourself over everything. And either fighting with yourself inside or fighting with yourself that you've projected on others, like blaming others. Even though someone has actually done something, hurt you, don't blame. I mean, you can't help but do something there. You know, at least maybe get out of their way. But, but the causes and conditions that arose for them to cause them to be uh, after you or hurting you are also unsearchable. You can't find the original cause for any kind of situation. Yes? Yes. Once or, ordinary mind, there isn't, any, there isn't anything separate from it. You can't say, oh, oh that's ordinary mind, this other stuff. No, nah, that's special. So is there an extraordinary mind? I haven't seen one yet. Yeah. Is that your question? Or? No, that's, that's mine. Sure. If you're talking about ordinary mind, is there, is there an opposite to ordinary mind? Well, that's a good question. Is there an opposite to it? And I would say uh, the opposite to it would be the, the fluctuation and the... Uh, thinking there's something else that we need to have and thinking there's something hidden when there's just this. And it's just ordinary. It's not special. Things that look extra as this do. Yes. When part is extra. It's, it's right now. That's why I'm interrupting you. It's when you say when. It's right now. You're looking at it. You're seeing it, hearing it, smelling it, tasting it, touching it, thinking it. It's this right here. Including any kind of negativity or difficulty that's coming up for you. Don't accept. Don't reject. Don't look away. Do nothing with it. You're warm. <laughs> Some? Squirrel. You're a squirrel. <laughs> like a squirrel. Yes. yes. Let me ask you a question without stepping away from this list. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, so goes on. Can I ask a question without stepping away? You just did? Yeah. So I'm not deliberately trying to be evasive, endeavoring to respond to your question. How about your little friend behind you there? Do you have any questions? Yes. What is stepping? What's it look like to you? Well, that's why you ask. Um, probably the simplest simplest way to respond is to to sh shift to something else instead of being with whatever's happening when it feels raw, rugged, uh, irritating, intense. Is to try to find something else to, to replace that. Step away from it. Uh, another way of saying it uh, is to. Refuse your life. Don't don't miss your life. Whatever is showing up for, for you when you wake up tomorrow morning, whatever that is, don't embrace it. I'm not saying that. Don't reject it. Don't look away from it. Whatever it is, it's just that. To do anything else with it, to 
dream up things about it, to analyze it, to interpret it, to elaborate on it, to blame anyone for it, to credit anyone for it, to do anything with it at all, is to avoid what it fundamentally is, which is what? Not separate. Thank you. We have a final question before we close. We can all go jump in the refrigerator. <laughs> yes? When we feel that we're not clear, is that also? It's, it certainly is. Thank you. That's a really good question. When you feel like you're not clear, when you feel like you're confused, this is ordinary. This is ordinary mind. And this is Tamagashapa. But you have to recognize it. You can't just think of the concept that this is ordinary or think of what Sogazan said that this is ordinary. You have to actually see that, the texture of that. Very good. Thank you so much. I'd like to remind everybody that this Saturday is our all day, the end of the month all day. Please join us if you can from the morning till night at night. Also, we have donation boxes that are in the hall. We need and appreciate your financial support. We also accept PayPal and debit and credit cards. May your merit penetrate into all places so that we in every sentient.